you again for a wonderful morning praising Jesus. You know, we should, I, you hear this all the time, I guess, or I feel like I repeat myself, but we, uh, we spend time picking out songs that strictly just sing of Jesus Christ and how good he is. Um, I've had some people, as you visit, you say, I, I don't know a single song you sang. Uh, we do pick some different ones uh, that are out there, and, and I probably have some eclectic taste, I suppose, you know, in the ones that I, that I choose. But uh, if you really want to know what it comes down to is we look for lyrics first. We look to see what are we going to be singing about, and we want to magnify Jesus Christ and the work of the cross and the gospel. And so uh, thank you for singing out and joining us. And, and if you're, you know, our newer, hang in there. Uh, uh, if it were me, I would introduce a new song probably every week, but because uh, I, I, I got this file, this list that I just can't wait to get to, but most of the time we don't get to any of them, um, of the new ones. But hang in there, and uh, thank you for worshiping and singing with us and being here this morning. So, I got a question for you. Are you ready? ready. How many of you have ever made any type of financial investment Solely for the purpose of your physical health. Solely for fitness. Maybe you purchased a gym membership uh, some January 2nd, long time ago. And then uh, come to find out 60 days later, you still paid for that gym membership, but neglected using it. I know with myself, through the years, I have purchased bicycles, running shoes, we had a sit-up ab roller type bar. Remember, like in the 90s, those were pretty popular? You, put, you, know, you won't hurt your neck with the ab roller. And you will get a six-pack. It hurts, though. I've uh, done Wii Fitness. That's, that's a workout with the Wii. You know, when you're bowling like that, that right arm gets... No, I'm joking. We've done Wii Fitness, workout DVDs. We have exercise mats, we've bought weights, resistance ba- resistant bands, Fitbits, and I have more than one app in my iPhone cloud that is dedicated for health and fitness. I don't think I'm alone. In fact, I know I'm not. Did you know that Americans spend 40 to $50 billion annually on weight loss? We also spend an average of $55 a month on gym memberships, of people who purchase a gym membership don't use it. They don't use it at all. And they keep it for about nine months before they realize the automatic deduction has been coming out of their checkbook or off of a card. And then they get to canceling it. Americans spend three, excuse me, 30 billion a year on athletic apparel. Because when we work out or when we plan to work out, we want to look good. And so Under Armour, Nike, Adidas, those brands, we shop for that stuff in January so that we can go to the gym. Now I know that many of us really are truly health conscious, and that's good. And we do keep our physical health as a, as a top priority. And, and that is commendable and very, very good. But if you're like me, sometimes we start off with good intentions, but then sometimes we let our, our physical health slide too much. So we all know, especially when we have that annual doctor visit, my doctor said last time, I'd like to see five pounds less. I'm like, you're being nice to me. I'd like to see a little more than that. But that we know that we we need to take care of our physical health. 
But what about our spiritual health? What about our spiritual fitness? Both as individuals and what about as a church? Do we care about our spiritual health? You see, to have a healthy church, we need to have healthy members. We will not be healthy as a church if you are not healthy in your spiritual life. And so you and I need to be people who are greatly concerned for the health of the body of Christ. And the health of our church will start with you, and it starts with me. See, as individuals who make up Christ's church, you and me are either adding to the health of a church, or, sadly, we could be a spiritual flu bug, or a cold virus, or worse yet, sometimes, when we grieve the Holy Spirit and quench Him, we can become a great disease that over time will greatly damage or even kill a body. We must care about the health of a church. And so Paul gives us instruction, and we're making a transition from chapters 1, 2, and 3 in Ephesians into chapter 4, and he gives us instruction that we would be wise to pay attention to. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the nature and the characteristics and the marks of a healthy body of Christ. We need to look closely, and we will look closely at how a healthy church should function. This passage is going to help us answer this question. What is the nature of a healthy church? And how does a healthy church function? And our current passage describes a church that is healthy, and it describes its actions. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to see three marks that identify a healthy church. Let's look at our passage. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's read verses 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he, also had, he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human scheming, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow 
so that it builds itself up in love. I want to do something as we make our transition from such an avalanche of grace and doctrine and mercy. We saw in the chapters 1, 2, and 3 what God has done for us. I pray that you've been spending time in your personal time in God's word, reading and reflecting and going over the magnificent, marvelous grace of God that he has given to us. But now we are moving into a time where we need to put it into application. Because of all God has done for us, what do I need to do, empowered by his mercy and grace? And I want to do something a little bit different. I want to stop now and take a moment to pray. And I want you to pray this, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the power of the Holy Spirit would shine the light of Jesus Christ upon your heart. Pray this, that you would be able to fight the urge to think of how these passages, as Jeff just prayed, the Holy Spirit wants us to do this, that we would apply, fighting the urge that we would not apply these passages to our neighbors, to other church members, to former church members, or anyone other than yourself. Remember, a healthy church will function when you are healthy, and we are not to worry about others. So allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. Let's trust our sovereign God to work graciously within the hearts of all his children. Trust God to work within your neighbor. And that's it. Pray for them, but allow the Holy Spirit to apply God's word to you you personally. So would you take a few moments to pray silently? Pray for the grace and mercy to surrender and submit to the will of God in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you promise to complete the work you started in us. And you use your word and the power of the Holy Spirit enlightening it to our eyes and to our heart to change us and to make us more like you. We trust that you will do this. We ask in faith to work within us as individuals. And then, Father, as we grow, we know that it will come out in how we live our lives and in our actions and we will see our church be what you want it to be. We trust you. You are good and you are sovereign. You are gracious. You are merciful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's get into this. Let's look now at the first identifying mark of a healthy church. And this is the first one. A healthy church is identified by spiritual unity. A healthy church has spiritual unity. You see, in Christ we are united, unified and united by a divine calling. And we are united by Christ-like, Christ-like conduct and we are united and we are one in our gospel confession. We are identified by spiritual unity. So what does this look like? Well, the first is this. We are united by a divine calling. Let's look at our passage. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now let's stop for a second and let's notice a few things about this verse. First, let's look at the word walk. This is a vitally important word. The word walk. And we're going to see this word actually a lot in the next months and weeks. As we study chapters 4 through 6, the word means this. We're going to see the word walk, and it's how we conduct and live our lives. It's how we live our lives. How you live daily, moment by moment, even second by second, minute by minute, is your walk. That is your walk. Now, every high school student who's been in the youth ministry here and has heard me teach through the years will be able to answer this next question. Did you see the word therefore? I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord? All right, I want someone to answer it. What are you supposed to ask when you see the word therefore? What is it there for? I know, that's cute, but it's true. And it's important. It's very important. Can you imagine if Paul just went right to the start of this and said, Hey, Church in Ephesus, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And he left out the therefore. How would we ever be able to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which we've been called if we did not have chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians? We walk in grace. God did the work in our salvation, and he is doing the work in completing us. Do you see this? This is so important. I think oftentimes people want to tell you, do better, do better, do better, try harder, try harder, obey, 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 obey. Quit lying. Quit being angry. Quit being impatient. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Now, is that true? Are we to grow in holiness? Yes. But... We should be saying, because of all God has done for you, you now, in his grace, walk like a Christian. You live differently by my grace. See, grace changes everything. Otherwise, we're just moralistic. I'll do good by myself. No, we walk in a manner worthy to which we've been called by the grace of God. So that, therefore, is very, very important. Paul just spent three chapters proclaiming the gospel. He was showing us God's mercy. He was showing us God's grace. And so this transition is saying, hey, listen, hey. Because of the gospel, because of God's grace, because you have God's power working within you, because the power of the resurrection has made you a life with Christ, now, therefore, because of that, you walk like this is true. Walk in the truth that what, of what happened. This is God's grace and this is God's power within you. Walk this way. Walk and have a conduct. Live your lives in a way that is keeping with the gospel. Gospel-powered lives. And man, if you don't understand it. And you know, I used to read 1 John chapter 5. And he would say, you know, you have come to know God if you keep his commandments and his commandments aren't a burden. Do you feel burdened by the commandments of God? If you feel they're a burden, I can guarantee you, you're trying 
to be obedient by your own power and strength. And there is no greater weight than the weight of self-righteous obedience. Ah, but the yoke is easy. And God's way and Jesus' way is light by his mercy and his grace. And it is not a burden. His commandments are, aren't a burden. That's, a, that's amazing. As one who grew up in school, I found every rule to be a burden. Don't talk. Oh, are you kidding me? Sit down. Sit quietly. Don't fidget. Don't just be like this internal kid just going to explode. I can't do this. But we can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit within us because of the gospel. The gospel empowers holy living. Our whole lives are to be lived in the light of the gospel. Do you know we do not have a spiritual life and a separate secular life? You have a life. And it is to be lived. And the whole of our lives is to be lived. With this as our driving truth. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the boss. He is Lord of all. So as believers, we are to walk in step with him. We are under his lordship and we follow and we walk in submission to Jesus Christ. And you see, this is what unites us. This is what unites us together as a body of believers. We are united together in the divine gospel calling. And the explanation of calling goes all the way back to the start of the book. God has called us to himself by his grace. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We were dead in our sins, but now we've been made alive. Now we are to live lives worthy of God's calling upon our lives. And this is not to be confused with other ways we use the word calling. When it says, walk in a manner worthy to the manner of which you've been called, this isn't an exclusive calling. This is for all believers. This is not the call to leadership or eldership or deaconship. This is not a call to be a missionary. This is not a call to teach Sunday school. This is a call to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel by which we've all been saved, God's grace. It is our calling, and that is what unifies us. When we walk in here today, when we sing together, we are unified saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus saved me. I was dead in my sins, but now I'm alive. And when we yell out, by your grace, I'm saved. We are singing out in unity, look at our God. And that is our unity. Our unity is in our calling, and it's in Christ We need to know that there is no greater calling than the call to follow Jesus. So remember who you are. By God's grace and by grace alone, you are a Christian. And we are united in that calling to follow Jesus. Look again at Paul. As I've been reading this and studying the life of Paul through the years, I just, I love him. I'm amazed by him. He says it again, as he said in chapter 3, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Remember 3, verse 1? For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ. It is so clear, and we need to make, make sure we know that this is crystal clear. Paul lived a life 
fully surrendered to the will of God. It's amazing to me that he doesn't call himself a prisoner of Rome, but instead he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I've told you this. If I ended up going to see Pastor Nilo in the Philippines and, and uh, we went down to the southern Muslim area and I got thrown in prison, you have to believe that I would do everything I could to get a hold of our embassy, to get a hold of you, and say, get me out of here right now. I am a prisoner of the people of Mindanao or of some terrorist group. I'd be like begging you to get me out. Would I be one who would say I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus? For Christ Jesus? I tell you what, I got a lot to grow in that area. If I can just be really, really honest with you. This is amazing. Paul was surrendered to Christ. In his life of surrender, what did it bring Paul? It brought beatings. Shipwrecks, snake bites, <laughs> persecution, stoning, prison, gossip, slander against him. People hated him. But we too are called to live lives of sacrificial obedience, and we are united in this calling. We have been called by God, we share a common experience of his marvelous grace and mercy. So what does spiritual unity look like? Well, we just saw that we are united by a divine calling, but we are also united by conducting our lives like Jesus Christ, living a Christ-like life. Look at chapter four, verses two and three. Uh, let's just start at verse one because I like it. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, what does this worthy walk look like? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because of God's grace, empowered by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to walk worthy of our calling. And simply put, if you ask what does that walk look like, by God's grace, by God's power, our walk looks like Jesus. Our walk is to look like Jesus Christ. God's grace, it will fuel a life that looks like Jesus Christ. Look at the qualities that Paul lists that should define a Christian. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If you want to see these virtues in action, look directly at Jesus. He is our example. Jesus is the ultimate and the greatest example of humility, isn't he? Philippians 2, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Jesus is our ultimate example of gentleness. Come to me, he says, because I am gentle. That's in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. Jesus is our example of patience. Remember Paul? 
In 1 Timothy 1, verse 16, he said this, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Jesus is patient. Isn't Jesus patient with you? Do you ever wake up amazed that you have not been smashed to bits? Maybe it's just me who's just a big knucklehead. Selfish, self-centered, whiner, a complainer. Fighting the sovereignty of God. Oof, that's a horrible thing to do. Oh, but God is patient, isn't he? He's not finished with us. He's completing the work. And I praise God for what he's doing in my life and what he's doing in your life. Jesus is our perfect example of love. Don't ever, ever doubt the love of Jesus Christ. If you ever have a moment where you do not feel loved, can I give, tell you this? Run to the cross. The greatest example of love you will ever, ever know. Christ poured out his love for us. Jesus is our example of peace. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2 when we were there? He himself is our peace. He is the peacemaker. He united Jew and Gentile into one body into the church. He made peace. He made peace with God the Father on the cross for us. We are no longer enemies. We are no longer strangers, but we are now citizens. We are now his children. Jesus is the supreme peacemaker, for he himself is our peace. So you see, do you see what Paul's saying here? The more we look like Jesus, you and me as individuals, the more we live and look like him within our relationships, within our church, the more united we will become. We must live like Jesus, and we do that by the power of God working within us by his grace. So let's look at these qualities just a little closer. How do we live like Jesus? We need to live in humility. You cannot ignore the importance, the emphasis that Paul places on humility in the lives of Christians, not only in Ephesians, but in all his letters. Humility is an absolute, essential characteristic of a believer. If we are not humble, we will not be unified. Turn to Romans 12. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, 
Though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. But do you see the challenge at the front? I say to everyone you, uh, among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Philippians chapter 2. Turn over a page or so. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Does that sound like unity? Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. In Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that... At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For unity to exist, humble, selfless, the humble and selfless people of God need to be living for the good of others. We need to be ones who look out for the interests of others. Do you know humility is not valued within a secular society? You agree? You notice that? Pride is valued. The humble are ridiculed. But don't worry. This is what God has called us to do, and Christ is our example. God has always, throughout time, valued Humility and God loathes pride. You guys know who Nebuchadnezzar was? Probably the greatest king of the Babylonian Empire at the time, right? Maybe, I think you could say, the most powerful man in, in the known world at the time. Great empire. What did God do to him? He thought he was great, huh? And he made him, made him like a cow, like a wild beast. Humbled him. You see, pride is being filled with self. But humility is being filled with God. Do not be filled with empty conceit. Consider others as more important. I like what Tim Keller said on humility. 
He said this, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Did you catch that? Just so you know, I think of myself a lot. I find it very easy to do. I need to think of others more. That is a sign of Christ-likeness. We need to be humble people. We need to be gentle people. The people of God are gentle. And with as much power and force as I can absolutely muster, I want to tell you, gentleness is not timidity and it is not weakness. It is strength. And it is strength in Christ that makes us gentle. Gentleness is the character of being self-controlled or being mild in spirit. When dealing with people, by the grace of God, let us be gentle. Don't be a bully. This goes in our age far beyond verbal communication, by the way. We live in a goofy time. And so I would say this in your emails, in your texting to others, in your Facebook posts, your Twitters, would you please read them multiple times? Does it read gentle? Does it read kind? We are called to be gentle, not violent in our words and in our actions. And gentleness is from the Spirit of God. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And it is the way that we are called to care for one another. It is how we are, it's also how we're called to confront and restore one who is in sin. Galatians 6. With a spirit of gentleness, restore your brother or your sister. Reread Ephesians 1 through 3. Is God gentle with you? Was God gentle with us? Yes. Was God kind? Yes. We too, empowered by the grace of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we must be gentle, not harsh, not a bully, not jerkish. I made that word up, I suppose. But you know what I mean. Tragedy when we as God's people are known as jerks. And we are. And we must repent. And I'm guilty of this too. You know when I become a jerk? When I let Ron take over. And I don't live in the light of Ephesians 1 and 3. 1, 2, and 3. And man, I'm quick. I'm not one that you want to get in a fight with. And I'm not, I'm not saying this in pride. I'm saying this to my shame. But when my flesh takes over and I get in a verbal abuse, I don't like to mess around. I'll go for your weakest point. And it's jerky. And I repent of it. And I pray for gentleness to be what marks my life. Because God was gentle with me. We must be kind. We must be gentle. We must be patient. That's a fun one, isn't it? 
You see, the worthy walk is a patient walk. Love is patient. A lack of patience really shows a lack of humility and a lack of love. You're saying my time is more important than your time, so get that line moving. You yell at your wife for picking the wrong line at Safeway. You not really yell, but you know, hey, you made a bad choice. We should have gone to check stand number three. And we'd be out of here by now and I'd be eating a snack. <laughs> right? Patience is really a lack of humility and a lack of love. Patience means we put up with the annoyances and we put up with challenging people or circumstances. And guess what? We may have to put up with those people. We may have to put up with our circumstances for a very long period of time. But we are called to be patient. If you lack patience, how do you cultivate it? Here's how. By relying on the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you go to God's word and you remind yourself of the gospel. And you remember the patience that you have been showed by God. And when you meditate on the patience God has shown you, you become patient with others. Because we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on a merciful, patient God. I said it earlier, I'm amazed that I haven't been crushed to bits by now. But God is patient. God, moment by moment, even right now, with all of us, is displaying patience and kindness and mercy and grace. And he's conforming us into the image of his son. He is making us like Jesus. We are his workmanship, as we saw in chapter 2, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And he is so patient and so kind. Why does God not crush the wicked? Have you ever asked that? Do you know why? He says in Peter why. He is patient towards us because he is saving people by his mercy. He says, I'm not ending this yet. I'm not, gonna, I'm not slow about completing my promise because I'm still saving people. Now there will come a time when that is done, when God's sovereign plan is complete and he will come again, amen? And he will judge the wicked. And he will judge the righteous and we will be found righteous in Christ. Amen? Amen. But until then, he is patient. Humility and patience and gentleness, love. We need to be loving towards others. Loving others is accepting one another for who they are. And it is part of the worthy walk. This means we put up with each other. It means you put up with me. And I put up with you. It means love covers a multitude of sins. It means that person who annoys you, that person you have a personality clash with in the body of Christ, that person you don't like their style or their manners, you overlook it. You don't count it against them. Let's just be real. I know each of you have people who drive you nuts. Yes. 
What do we do? How do we respond to people like that? In love, in patience. That is the walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And this is empowered by the grace of God. This isn't a grit your teeth. This is a get to. This is look what God has done. I can love the unlovable because I was unlovable and I was dead in my sins. I was a wretch. I was an orphan. I was dirty and I was sick. And Jesus came and he wrapped his arms around me and God made me his child. I will love others. I will love the dirty and the sick and the ones who bug me. Because let me tell you, we are so far apart from God in his holiness left to ourselves that we praise God for his grace. So we love. We overlook those things that bother us. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with praying in love for them that God's Holy Spirit will work in them. But do we believe in a sovereign God? We preach it. But do you know what an application of, of uh, believing in a sovereign God is? That God is sovereign to work in someone else. And he will change them by his mercy and his grace. Let it go. Relax. You cannot change others. Anyone who's been in a marriage long, you know you cannot change others. Actually, you could be married one week and you're going to figure it out. But I guarantee you this. I praise God that Karen puts up with me. What a joy. I'm difficult. I'm quirky. I think I'm funny when I'm not. Sometimes my funniness is actually quite hurtful. I crack myself up, but I hurt others. And I praise God that my family puts up with me. Why does she do that? Because she loves me. And she overlooks my weirdness and my goofiness. Church, overlook the goofiness. Overlook the weirdness, the quirkiness. If God loves them, you love them. We must be loving and accepting of one another. Now, that does not mean there, there are areas in Scripture that if someone has sinned against you, if you have to confront someone, you do that. But we do this in gentleness and in love and not in self-righteousness. Not in anger, not in harshness. And when we're Christ-like, people will see that. There are people that I will willingly accept rebuke from and hug them and shed tears with them because I know that they're gentle and they love me. There are others that are harsh and mean, legalistic, and want, want to pummel me. Not accepted as much. But we are unified in Christ. So let us be Christ-like in how we deal with one another. The worthy walk is also diligent and aggressive in keeping unity. Unity you see in the body of Christ, it is active, it is not passive. 
Christians are to be one who work hard, who are zealous to maintain unity. We fight for unity. We keep unity. And we do this because we know we are unified in Christ. And we are unified by our, calling, our common calling. We are unified by our salvation by grace. So we don't create unity. We cannot come in here today and create unity. We keep unity. Do you see that? Do you understand what I just said? We don't create unity, we keep it. Because we are, by position, unified in Christ. And so, we fight to maintain what God has done. God has united us in Christ. And by God's grace, and by the help of the Holy Spirit, we are to maintain the unity that we have. So we must be people who pursue, pursue these qualities. And by the grace of God, we must renounce the opposite of these qualities. We need to renounce self-centeredness so that we will walk in humility. We must renounce harshness so that we would walk in gentleness. Please don't be harsh. Remember the grace of God poured out in your life. We need to be people who lay aside our own agendas so that we will walk in patience. I was church. They're not doing it my way. I think I'll give it another week. And Firstbrook better change the music a little bit. I'm losing patience with him. I don't know if that's an example or not. I just made that up. Lay aside your agenda. This is Christ's church. We have a sovereign God who's in charge and in control. Pray for one another. We must renounce idealistic expectations. Oof. That's important, huh? Why do we renounce idealistic expectations? We do that so that we will walk in forbearing love. We must be people who renounce indifference and passivity. Don't be indifferent when it comes to the unity of the body. Instead, we are to be eager excited, zealous to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, when we walk this way, by the grace of God, when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church is unified and God is glorified. So let us be a people at Grace Bible Church who walk and live like Jesus Christ. He is our example. He is our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul. Lord, your word says that it came about. Your word was men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke for God, spoke from you. Lord, and you have given us your word. And Lord, we, today we have seen that we are a unified people. We are unified in Christ. Father, we are unified by the gospel. We are unified by the truth of your word. And so, Father, may we be people who do not allow our own selfish ideas, our own impatience, our own pride, our own ideas of how things should be done, our own preferences. Father, may we lay these things aside humbly. Why? Because we want to worship you in unity. And Father, we as a church, we beg you to work within us and among us that we be a unified people, 
unified in the gospel, unified in our message, that we were dead in our sins, but you, by your grace, have made us alive. And Father, we want to tell the world that. Jesus saves sinners. And we are the proof that he does that. You are good. Father, work within our church, work within our lives. You are good and you are great. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.